I want to ask you a, a question. Have you ever had the actions of someone else impact you? Like what somebody else did directly affected you in your life, in, in your experience. I was talking to an athlete uh, this past week. And she told me that while the whole team was working, everybody wasn't working at the same pace. And so some people was slacking off, kind of not doing what they were supposed to do. And because those folks wasn't doing what they were supposed to do, the whole team had to run a ton more. One person's actions caused the whole team to have to work out just a little bit, a little bit more. Or maybe you got a sibling. And when you was a kid, or maybe you a kid now, your sibling did something that they wasn't supposed to do, and auntie and uncle or mom and dad came in and said, who did it? And you ain't want to be a snitch, but you know you ain't do it. And so now everybody gets punished. Why? Because the actions of one can affect many. Can affect many. Or maybe you've been blessed by somebody else and what they did kind of changed your worldview, your perspective. I remember being 13 years old and my grandmother taking me shopping. And at 13, I started to feel myself a little bit. I liked the smell of cologne a little bit. Grandma took me to JCPenney. I got brand new shoes. Y'all don't remember JCPenney back in the day. I thought JCPenney was like Gucci. I'm feeling fresh. Got the new outfit on, and then Grandma stops at somebody's house on the way home. We go into a home, and in this home, uh, it wasn't clean. Uh, there may have been some rodents that was running in the corners. There were some springs that you could see coming out the couch. There was a fridge that didn't have much food. And I'm coming in with my new stuff on, looking like, Grandma, like, like I'm, what, you know I'm kind of... And I remember the look she gave me was as if I, as she put me in my place with that look. And my grandmother and I sat in that home and she spoke to these people with dignity, with value and worth as if they were the president and vice president. And her actions changed the way I viewed people and viewed stuff. From that point on, I was wrestled with it as a kid, but it continued to surface more and more in my adult life, the importance of treating people with respect. See, sometimes somebody can do something and it affects you. It have an impact on you. It can change you on the outside where you actually out doing some stuff physically, but it can change you on the inside, change your worldview, how you see things. Today, as we continue on in our discussion with 1 Peter, last week we talked about the beauty of, of salvation and how God has allowed us to go from dead to life. This week we're talking about now that we're saved, what has God done in us? He's made us into a new creation. We're no longer the same. And in a few weeks, Pastor Kay will encourage us in what does it mean to be the local church? What does it look like to be God's bride? Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? 
If you are at home, uh, go ahead and get your e-Bible and scroll. Uh, if you're with us, it'll be, uh, there's a pew Bible by your knees, and there's also a screen uh, next to us on the sanctuary. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 21, hanging on the end of our verses from last week. If someone's there, could they shout out that page for us? 1727, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by opening the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good that the Lord is good verse 21 through him you believe in through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. It's through the death of Jesus that we all are able to have belief, have faith, have salvation. His death made us free and it set us free. It's by his death and his resurrection that we get a chance to experience and enjoy what is an eternal hope. His life was the model for us. It was the model, but his death was a new beginning for us. Jesus was raised from the dead and all attention was placed on him. And it is because of his conquering of death that you and I have faith. We have hope in God. But then look at verse 22. It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, purified yourselves. He's letting us know that there was a problem. There was a problem that that you needed to be you need to get get clean. I um I'm 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 a little bit of a of a germaphobe. Um that might be a technical term, so if that's you, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make light of it. But I uh think about germs with my kids a good amount. When they are outside playing and they come in the house and want to put their hands in the chips, I'm not cool with that. Before you put your hands in my chips, you got to go and wash your hands. You got to go get clean. There's a purification process that used to that needs to happen. And the same took place in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people would sin and then something physically would take place where they say, you know what? You're you cannot enter into the presence of God. You cannot seek God until you clean yourself. So there would be a water cleansing that would take place. Something on your body, something external 
would take place so you could be purified. But the New Testament sees you as more. The New Testament sees you and I as more than just our physical bodies need to be clean. Because you can scrub your fingers all day and your heart be wretched. And so the New Testament is saying, wait a minute, something needs to be purified. And it's not only your external, it's also your internal. Why do we need purification? We need purification because of our experiences, because of what we've gone through, because unfortunately sin is present within our history. I'm not putting nobody's name up. This is 13 years of listening, 20 years of walking with people. I dare I say almost my whole life of living this out. And I'm just going to highlight a few examples of why we need purification. At a young age, you were called stupid. You were called dumb. And whenever somebody challenges you, that voice gets played in your head over and over. It demoralizes you. It leads you to anger. Sometimes it leads you to rage or sometimes it leads you to whimper and not take a stand for yourself. It leads you to implode, leads you to play that tape louder than anyone in the room that you are stupid. See, some of us have had experiences in our childhood and our past where, where it is not simply a cleansing out here that needs to take place. Some internal stuff. Maybe you were in a, in a significant relationship where you opened up. You gave someone your heart only to be hurt, only to be embarrassed, only to be made of a fool of. And now you question all of your discernment. You question, can you trust another person? Can you trust a church family? Can you trust that people are really who they say they are? And so you live with a closed heart. Maybe you were teased at school for your appearance, teased for the way your teeth looked or the acne on your face, or maybe the way that people talked about your body shape, or maybe no one said anything to you and they praised somebody who looked the exact opposite of you. And you began to think that you weren't handsome or beautiful. You began to look down upon yourself and see yourself as ugly, and you began to live out that you weren't worthy of love. Can I keep the examples going? How many, how many are there? We all have an issue that took place at some point in our lives that can at times wreak havoc. And this Jesus Christ is saying, no, 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 wait. I love you enough that I want you spiritually cleansed, not just physically cleansed so that you can be presented before me to enter back into the presence of God and, and walk with God and worship with God. But I don't just want you able to shout out to God. I want you changed from the inside. I want you redeemed. I want you to be free from anything that would wreak havoc in your heart and in your mind. And so this process of purification starts with, with not only evil done on the outside of this world, also evil that can dwell in us as a result of pain, as a result of sickness. But then he says, 
a simple thing that you, that you purified yourselves. Pastor, how do, I, how do I purify myself? How do I cleanse myself up? How do I do this to myself? I, I, I love this, this scripture because it's a, it's a marriage of my, my reformed background and my, my free will Baptist background. Reformed in the sense that, that God has to do something. We cannot purify ourselves. We are not in and of ourselves able to save ourselves. God has to step into our situation and change us, give us a new awareness of the beauty of who he is and draw us to him. But then we got a responsibility. Verse 22 says, we purify ourselves by puffing our name up. Verse 22 says, we purify ourselves by passing enough God exams. Verse 22 says, we purify ourselves by being better than the next person. No, verse 22 says, you purify ourselves by obeying the what? The truth. Obeying the truth. Hearing the word of God. God does something in us, makes us new, and then we continue to be renewed, made new. The depth of his purification keeps traveling deeper and deeper to those places of pain that nobody else knows when we obey his truth. When we obey his truth. I, 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 I don't like going to the gym. I don't like, uh, what's the people that help you work out? And help get you in shape. Trainers. I don't like them either. Because what they, what they take you through doesn't feel good. No aspect of it feels good. If they're a good trainer, they don't just listen to what you say. They know where they want to get you. And they kind of ignore where they, what you say. Because when you're saying it, most of it's excuses. My baby toe hurt. I can't do a jumping jack. I need to clip my toenail. You know, like you come up with all types of stuff. But where they ultimately are getting you is to a place of health. See, obeying God's word is somewhat similar. Sometimes you'll read God's word, and this, this I remember this like, like, a, like a ton of bricks. It hit me because I loved cussing so much. And please don't feel, and well, if the Holy Spirit convicted you, then that's on you. But don't feel like I'm trying to come after you. I loved cussing a lot. A lot. <laughs> it was just like a, 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 a perfect zinger at the right time. You know what I mean? Just like, like it just flowed. And, and I remember reading God's word, and it, was just, it didn't say, Leon, you can't cuss. But it just talked about the wise one controls his tongue. And I was blown away. Wait a minute, God, you saying I ain't wise? Hold up. Like you. It, it cut at my pride. But it also showed me for Leon that, that, that I wasn't in control. That I was not listening to the Holy Spirit and depending on the Spirit to guide my tongue. I was more dependent upon my flesh. That was for me. Y'all know it was so hard for me to make that change. But baby step upon baby step. I mean, my, this is not a, 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 a praise and please, not an accolade. But my children have not heard me curse very much. My college friends only know me by cussing very much. 
It's, and, and that's, but that, it, was, it was obeying subtle truths one step at a time. But God was doing something in me. And I noticed when I started to control my words, it also had an effect on how I felt and how others felt. Like, like, like I realized that, that even in playful banter, I'm like, man, you are stupid. Like, 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 but it's playing. We laughing. But now I'm like, what word can I use to cut him the same way that's funny? Wait, why am I cutting my boy who I love? Why, why not build him up? Why, you know, it was, it was subtle things that just began shifting my perspective and purifying me. So now I still kick it with my homies and we laugh and we joke a lot, but, but it, it, almost is, it almost is a little weird sometimes because we'll like go in on each other. We going in, oh man, what you talking about? You know you were stupid, you know that, and I'm like, it's okay, man, you want a hug? You know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm like the awkward dude sometimes, you know, because there's a, there's, a, there's a different way that God guides my tongue now, and, and, and family, this is not... from you to be me. This is for you to see that obeying the truth purifies something within all of us. There is a place that God wants to grow you. There is a pain that God wants to heal. And the beauty of this story is that you get saved, but you don't just get saved. You get saved and then God makes you and I new. We become new. We're not the same as we used to be. And so we begin to love and we love differently. Verse 22 says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Why does he add that word sincere? You got you got the King James says unfeigned love. Didn't know what unfeigned meant, which means genuine genuine love. The message says, love one another as if your lives depend on it with sincerity. Why? Because if you ever, okay, hang on. If you ever, uh, I have loved people selfishly. You can love somebody and, and, and want their good and slightly want your good a little bit more. See, see, love, it, it is rooted in a motivation. Love is rooted in, in a desire. And the question is, what is your greatest desire in love? Is, is it for the other person? Is it to glorify God? Or is it other person, God? I want me a little bit higher. And so he's saying with Christ rooted at at understanding who we are, he makes us into a new creation and even the way we love is different. Now we love with sincerity. Now we love with an unfeigned love. Now we do it as if nothing else matters. See, once you become a new creation, you and I become a a new creation, our motives change. I was looking up uh, just a phrase, selfish love. And all these songs came up, movies came up, but this definition came up from a, from a, a psychologist, and it says, selfish love is where one focuses on their own self even when loving someone else. 
By asking for something in return, doing something conditionally, or when it would benefit you more than the other person, one exhibits the characteristics of selfish love. Something we all could be freed from. But praise the Lord, new creation, when God does something in us, when he purifies us, he changes our motives so that selfish love gets moved to the side. Sincere and genuine love is what is then exalted. Continue me in verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The, uh, the, the, the idea here is that you and I both get a fresh start. Once we are saved and God grabs our heart, he changes and makes us into a new creation, and we get to start afresh. Start afresh. I, I've uh, been able to be around some newborns, just a couple. And, and I've always noticed the optimism of everyone in the hospital. Oh, look at this new one. He's going to be amazing or she's going to be awesome. Like, like, like never do, do you hear someone say, oh, this, you know, two, two hour old baby, never going to reach their dreams. Never going to live out that hope, you know, like, like there's always this, this sense of optimism, this sense of a, of a new chance of, of now there's, there's a sky's the limit with this new life. You see, when, when God does something and makes us born again, it's like your past is no longer connected to your future. You have a new opportunity to fully experience all that God would have for us. What's the limit in God? What's the ceiling in God? What is the thing that can't be done under God? Saying, no, no, no. I'm giving you a new opportunity. You're going to have a new heart and a new trajectory and a new path and a new future in me. See, being born again means we get a chance at new life. Spiritual renewal that starts afresh. A second chance. To see God's name magnified. But he compares a, a imperishable seed with a perishable seed. Notice the beauty of the, of the seed imagery that something has been planted and God's going to be the one to, to see it nurtured and cared for. But sometimes we put our investments in things that will perish. Things that will crumble. But as a new creation, he's given us eternal perspective so that we can put our hope in things that are everlasting. Continue with me in verse 24, where he unpacks that. He says, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever endures forever. He's saying man will, will pass away someday. Don't put your hope, don't put your faith, don't build your life on stuff that is simply here for a moment. But the word of the Lord will endure forever. 
I like Matthew, who speaks a lot about the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 24, 35 says this. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's truth will remain. It will continue. What are we building our lives on? As a new creation, we build our lives on that which is eternal. We build our lives on that which is eternal. So, you got the instructions, but some of y'all know of Ikea. Maybe you know of a carburetor. Maybe you know of uh, putting together a, a, some furniture. If you got instructions and you don't use them, it's going to be ugly. Whether you're under the hood, whether you're in the house working on something, whatever it is, if you don't use them instructions, it's, it look good at first. And then you sit on it and you know, like, like, like it ain't stable. You missed that one screw that mattered. Same way with God's word. You don't simply want it to be like an instruction manual that you get and you don't apply. So the first verses that we just read kind of set the basis for understanding. He's going to give us a little bit of simple actions in verse in chapter two, verses one through three. Hear these out. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted the Lord is good. It's making it clear. Wait, wait, wait. There's no way we can be new creations in Jesus, that he can, he can die for us, set us free, give us an opportunity to be cleansed from external craziness as well as internal pain from our past. There's no way he can do all of that, but we keep on treating each other the same way. It says, rid yourself of malice and all deceit. No hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. See, when you see these words, maybe you and I think of the world. Maybe we think of, man, if politicians would just not be hypocrites. Maybe we think of, of, of those that are vindictive, and if, if there could just not be like, like people just being so malicious and just trying to take down somebody's name and so, so deceitful, like all, maybe we think of all that. I want to pause your mind for a minute. For just 30 seconds, don't think of elsewhere. Think of your family. Imagine if in your family, let's go to the family reunion. Let's say in your family there was no deceit, no hypocrisy, no envy, no slander of any kind. What would your family look like? What would your family be accomplishing? What would your family be able to do if none of that stuff was present? If it started today, what would that look like? If none of that was present for the past four generations of your family, what would it look like? 
not, not only the depth of relationships that will be strong as we walk arm to arm, as we love each other genuinely, but y'all know we'd have built some banks, we'd have built some apartment complexes. We'd have, when you tried to do something, I would have encouraged you. When I tried it, you would have encouraged me. There'd be no slander. What's your motive? Uh, you always greedy. We ain't even assessing that. We working together because we're about something bigger than just ourselves. So you can see the deceit real easily when you look at family patterns and breakdowns. What about the church family? What about the family of God? What about within God's body? He's saying, hold up. I've died. I've made you new. New so that you can walk in the freedom that I offer you, but also new so you can live in a, in a brand new way. New so you can reflect the beauty of me. I'm making you new. And I'm excited to see what will happen within this church body if, if we eliminate these things, if we eliminate malice, if we eliminate deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and the way we do that is by craving something greater. Craving something greater. Choosing instead to diet upon that which is sinful, even though it may feed us, choosing to, instead of diet on, on that which lets me cut you down or embarrass you or malign your name, instead I'm going to crave Christ. I'm going to diet upon Christ. I'm going to get my fill from Christ. I'm going to spiritually get full from all that he has to offer. And it is when we do that that we are able to eliminate some of our past behaviors and past actions. I've been able to watch this take place within our body as people come to faith and grow in faith and over time grow closer to Christ. Past ways of behaving change. Behaviors have changed. I'm looking at many of y'all in this room and you are not the person that you were three years ago, five years ago, eight years ago. You're not. And I give Christ all the praise for that. Give them all the praise. But sometimes we can get into our, our coasting pattern. You know that rhythm of life where the schedule is kind of the same. Who's going to get the kids? Who's going to get the groceries? Who's going to clean? Did you put gas in the car? You know, like you just go through that, that cycle of life and it begins to numb you from actually craving God. And my fear is that we enter into a place, Macav, where craving God is not something that's real. Walking with God, yep. Believing in God, yep. Keeping myself in the space of God, kind of, yep, I come to church. But do you hunger? Is that the place by which you desire this past week? We were meeting as a as a family and uh, within our church fam, and and a sister said, "Here, one of my idols is something where I know I have somebody in the wrong place, and I should be seeking God first. It's like, man, that's powerful. How many of us struggle with that? Where God is real, He's in our lives, and He matters." But maybe he's not the most important thing. 
Maybe our life doesn't line up to show that we crave his answers. And so before we act, he's a part of the equation and we put ourselves in spaces to listen to him. I'm not saying you should be praying six times a day, fasting three times a day. Dang, three times a day, you ain't eating. Uh, you know, I'm not saying this is the, I'm saying what does hunger for Christ look like? And if you are at a place where you're not hungering for him, praise the Lord that you're here because what we want to do is confess it. Lord, I'm sorry. Right now you matter to me, but I want you to matter most. I want to be able to let go of anything sinful, anything that might hurt someone else, anything that's hindering me being who you fully want me to be. If it is present, God, I want it gone. Why? Because I want to crave you and you alone. I want to, my, my fill to come from you, God. And if anything is in the way, reveal it. Why? Because I'm a new creation. You've made me new to walk in new steps, to live out a new life, to operate with a new joy. Family, I'm grateful for what God is doing in our midst. I know that we have been able to taste and see that the Lord is good. But don't stop the the joy. Don't stop the hope. Don't stop believing in the potential God has in your life for how he wants to use you and what he wants to do in you. Once you've been saved and then made it to a new creation in Christ The sky's the limit. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that that craving you would be our first first desire. And this this scripture points out that this is something that is continual, that we, we never arrive. We don't want to just remember that we craved you when we were young in youth group and came to faith. Or we craved you when we were in college. Or we craved you when we were uh, uh, doing some uh, more intense discipleship. Or we craved you when, when, no, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not craving you in the way that we should now. And let that lead us, Lord, towards worship and seeking you. You are good, Father. And we are grateful that we are new creations with nothing but God-centered opportunity ahead. Thank you for the purification that you bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, we're going to sing in a moment. As uh, the worship team's getting ready, I'd like to invite you to get your communion ready. Uh, It should be by your knees. And those that are at home, I know you went and grabbed your communion elements. Worship team, I tried to strategically place them around. Uh, Yeah. We take communion to remind us of who God is and what he has accomplished. That we get a chance to delight in him. That we get a chance to partake in him. It always should remind you of a simple question. Is Jesus enough? Not 
what Jesus does, which is amazing. Jesus will give us new life. Jesus will free us. Jesus will provide for us. Jesus will protect us. But I don't simply want you to be thinking of what Jesus can do for you. Jesus himself is enough. And so we take communion to remind us of his saving grace and his almighty power. If you are a person that says, hey, I hear you, pastor. I don't know if I'm there yet. Then we ask you not take communion because communion is something we do as an act of worship. But if you would like to be a new creation, if you would like to to change, if you would like to be changed, not simply from the outside, but from the inside out, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, I believe in you. I have sinned against you, and I have hurt your heart. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin, to restore me back into fellowship and into relationship with you, God. Now fill me with your spirit that I might live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you, if you prayed that prayer, if you believed that prayer, if your words was wrong, but your heart was in the right place, then we invite you, you can take communion today. Today can be your first day taking communion because uh, now you are acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that's, that is the basis for worship and for living for God.